0: Hello ladies and gentlemen, this is Claudia Monacelli. My avid followers knew this podcast as Pleasure Seeking, the Pleasure Seeking Podcast, named after my book, The Magic of Pleasure Seeking. As soon as it's available for pre-order, I'll announce it here. Enjoy your listening. Here I am with a new guest, Tamara Pincus, and Tamara is quite unique. She has a um, background as a clinical social worker. She's worked for over 15 years with that in a mental health treatment, and she's maintained at the same time a private practice specializing in sex therapy since 2011. She's a member of the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And um, she has a specialty in working with kinky, poly, and LGBTQ clients. Um, Tamara, I know you're listening to me. Say hello first to everyone before I go on. (laughs) Hi, everyone. (laughs) I just wanted to break in there and say how long it took me to be able to say LGBTQ, (laughs) and I can't say it (laughs) until I see it. And, um, well, Tamara uh, has a, her practice has a commitment to to racial justice, and uh, she has specifically experience using cognitive, behavioral, psychodynamic mindfulness and imago approaches, I'd like to know about that, first thing, in therapy with individuals, And people in relationships. She has a certification in working with co occurring mental health and substance abuse disorders. So you can tell, I mean, she has a lot on her plate. Uh, She's worked for agencies for the homeless and chronically mentally ill and has worked in direct service management and quality improvement. Now, there's so much more that I could say about her, but I'd rather. Have her speak for herself. Um, thank you for coming today, Tamara. I wanted, first of all, uh, for you to tell us where you come from, in the sense of uh, who was, who were you when you were in your teens? You know those difficult years. You know high school, early high school that no one ever wants to go back to. Usually, they're the formative years. <laughs>
1: yeah i mean so um high school was a terrible time um <laughs> so we moved truth? we moved to buffalo new york like it, in eighth grade and so they sent me to this um fancy private school and right? i was already kind of a they? rebel my parents <laughs> my parents and um and so i was already kind of a rebel so i always you know dressed in black and there yeah. was, it was goth time so ah. you know i had my deep red lipstick and um I drew a Jewish star once, and everybody became convinced that I was a devil worshiper. So I had a lot of Ooh. Um, experience
0: Ooh. <laughs> with
1: uh, being an outcast, and I was bullied so much that I ended up switching to a different high school. Oh, um,
0: did the bullying
1: for my do, junior do think, and senior year?
0: Do you think the bullying occurred because you, you know, wore that kind of lipstick, and you know, because of the things that identified you?
1: So I think that, um, there were a few things I mean, I was definitely also bullied because I was fat. There was a lot of like pretending to ask me out, but the idea that anybody would actually ask me out was so laughable that it was funny. Hmm. Um, I mean, and I was already, I already was knew that I was queer. I came out as bisexual at 16. Mm-hmm. Um, Brava. I did a lot of, Bravissima. Um, queer activism in my, um, Even even that young,
0: you were an activist, even that young. sixteen,
1: seventeen. Yeah, definitely in high school. I mean, I think that because I was because I'm bisexual and because I was dating a guy at the time, people didn't take me seriously. So all of my lesbian and gay friends were like getting death threats on their locker and getting beat up after school. And because nobody took me seriously as a queer person. Uh I could say these things that other yeah. people couldn't say, and and I did. Um, wow. And uh, yeah. Well, see that that's um, in to my mind.
0: Uh, I was a cheerleader. I dated the football captain. You know that kind of the kind of thing, and and I mm-hmm. it was terrible. Those the clicks and what they say and what they do and they have the class president and most likely to succeed and all of those things. Um, it's mm-hmm. a difficult time. It's a difficult time. Do you, do you? Mm-hmm. And I'm leading uh, you to the present, obviously in some way. But do you think this brought you to the type of work you're doing now? Led you to this?
1: Um. I mean, I do. I do think so. I think there were other things that brought me to this too. Like I knew. I knew I was kinky in high school too um yeah but how know, kinky I didn't know Polly. How, did,
0: how kinky you know because for me in high uh, well, school you know all the much- romance
1: yeah <laughs> how much you know all the romance much- novels had kidnapping I was all about it <laughs> I was like bringing my boyfriend the things to tie me up with <laughs> <laughs> good for you <laughs> I found a copy of um one of the Marquis de Sade books, that was less good. <laughs> less good. But I mean, I had, you know, I probably started reading, you know, romance novels with, with kidnapping when I was like, I don't know, 11, 12. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I hope my mom doesn't listen to most podcasts. No. <laughs> Hi mom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the rom- when you say there I missed something here because you say romance novels, novels with kidnapping and, that mm-hmm. to me sounds normal. W- what maybe I'm, I'm culturally not getting it
1: right because th- that is normal culturally, <laughs> yeah. um, and and yet that's also kinky. Like when you're into the kind of thing where one person holds power over another and one person's tying another one up, like that is fundamentally kinky and it's also normal, which is yeah, why but- when you ask. Don't, most people like do they have kinky fantasies like 95% of them do think about spanking or think about bondage or but um but we think of it as this weird thing. So I'm I'm pretty out about being
0: But kinky. you know that whole thing about power it would in my mind that's the fun of sex. Don't people get it that it is a power play, you know? I I would
1: imagine that accepted it's a big part of sex for most people not everybody but i don't think that um i don't think people necessarily talk about the power parts of it yeah um and i think a lot of times it's not negotiated well like i think there are parts of it that are definitely like have a power differential def- blah, differential and i i think a lot of times people don't even know how to negotiate those things
0: yeah um let's say there, there was apart from the work that you do uh, as a a sex educator and consultant or counselor, you do have um, a link to uh, mental illness. Is that, did that come in, um, how did that
1: come into the picture? Right. So in order to become a certified sex therapist, you have to be a therapist first, right? right? So you Ah. have to... Um, get either a master's in social work or a master's in counseling or or something Mm -hmm. that gives you some qualifications as a therapist. And then in order to work as an independent therapist without being supervised by somebody else, you have to work in the field for a certain number of years under supervision. Mm -hmm. Well, as it turns out, when I got out of school, there were literally no sex therapy group practices where you could be hired to do do sex therapy under somebody else's supervision.
0: How long ago was this?
1: 2004
0: oh wow that's so surprising
1: Um, yeah so um so i actually have a sex therapy group practice now i have a number of clinicians who work for me who are working towards sex therapy certification i'm actually as in addition to being a certified sex therapist i'm also a certified sex therapy supervisor so people can get supervision from me and then become certified sex therapists So I do supervision both for people who work for me and for people who work at other agencies who wanna do sex therapy um, so that they can Mm -hmm. like learn the skills they need to do that. But when I was getting started, there was no way to just follow that path directly. So I had to get a job. So I worked, um, so I got a job at Community Connections, which does public mental health with the chronically mentally ill, uh, mostly people on Medicaid or people without insurance at all. Um, and we would do case management, go out in the community, meet people where they are, take them to their doctor's appointments nice. and to their... Mm. Um, A lot of yeah, work. Yeah, it's, it's really hard to work that, to, to do that. Hard. Like it I'm not hard. sure how much really happens these days. Um, and then I sort of moved up and I started doing therapy through that realm and then um, and intake assessments and that sort of thing. Um and it was really hard to break out on my own and say like I'm gonna give up these steady sources of income and start my own practice, right. but I did, yeah, and, good for uh, you but but ten, now, ten years later, where
0: do you go when you want help?
1: Well I do have my own therapist. okay, there
0: we go. <laughs> I gotcha yeah so so it's common practice to have your own therapist, someone that you don't know or someone that you trust that was um, suggested to you?
1: How does that work usually? So in this case, um, somebody that I don't know. And I think ideally you wanna go for somebody that you don't know outside because I think it gets complicated also if you like share clients or like- Right. Like if I'm also referring you people and I see you for therapy, I feel like that's complicated. Of course. so so we try not to have dual relationships so the the therapist that i see um <laughs> i guess she's, she's laughing she doesn't she's go to laughing. all the... <laughs> i laugh a lot <laughs> um she doesn't go to all of the like therapy networking things that i go to like there's there's quite a few that i go to and some things that i organize and and she's like i'm an introvert after work i don't do those things and i'm like perfect that's why i never see you perfect <laughs> yeah good.
0: Good. so yeah. so now we've left high school right and we've talked a little bit mm-hmm. about college and you're out the door there and now you're in working life um to get an idea mm-hmm. because i'm i'm trying to think how how it would be i uh, when i have um guests on that my show, I try to put myself in the shoes of a client that would come to you, mm-hmm. right? So if mm-hmm. I'm doing that in your case, I'm trying to think how what would bring me to you. Uh, let's say I have a relationship, uh, man, woman, it doesn't really matter. I have a relationship and um, apparently the sex is okay. Actually, the sex seems fine, but I'm just not reaching orgasm, w- you know, mm-hmm. it, regularly, it's never happened, mm-hmm. but I know that I've never had good sex like this kind of sex. It, would that qualify
1: uh, to be a client of yours? I mean, that would certainly be a pretty typical sex therapy client. Uh-huh. Um, I don't end up seeing a lot of those. Oh. Um I mean, they're certainly out there, but it's not it's not one of the more common things that I get in my practice. Mm -hmm. I think because I do specialize in kinky poly and LGBT people, um, anorgasmia seems to come up less with people who are already exploring all these other sexual avenues. And you'll also find that anorgasmia is less (laughs) less common in um, people who have same sex relationships because it seems like. All right, the breakdown. She's giving to me oftentimes in team Ladies and gentlemen, she's telling me where to go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so let me yeah, put women myself... <laughs> like they say they, they're paying attention to your pleasure. Yes, men have to learn that because they men sure are taught do. that like sex is a thing that women give them. It's not necessarily fun for them. It may hurt but like they should do it. <laughs> but it's not like men are taught like actually like here are the skills. Hello, this is the clitoris. Yeah. Do something with it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So let's let me put myself in a situation that's a little more common in terms in relation to mm-hmm. to who you see. All right. So I come mm-hmm. with the notion that we're not having we're having trouble in the bedroom. Man or woman relationship, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. I and I mm-hmm. think that I'd like to start the kinky stuff. I heard about you by word of mouth. You know tra- mm-hmm. things travel, people talk. And I come to you and I think this is the first time we have crossed the line. We've transgressed a little bit, uh, wanting to be with other partners the whole bit. But I want perhaps your help in telling me what would work best in the beginning. And if there is a a moment where you can develop into something else, am I doing okay Mm -hmm. as a client?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we want to figure out, like, what is it that you want to begin to do? Like, so we should explore, like, what are the things that you're fantasizing about? Are you looking oh. for other partners? Are you oh. looking for a particular kind of kink? Um, like, is your partner coming to the sessions? Or is this just you individually? Because that will affect how we work together? Okay, okay. Um, so, so
0: let's say I'm, I'm on my own the first session, then we have this talk. Mm-hmm. And I realize it's best mm-hmm. if they come too. Okay. So on the first Mm -hmm. time you ask me all of these questions, I swallow that. I take notes and then I go back to my partner and I tell them, look, we talked about this, this, this. Maybe it would be a good idea if you came to talk as well. So we're together now. Mm -hmm. You're not let off the hook.
1: You're together. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and then we start talking about like, well what what are the things you guys are both fantasizing about what are the things that make you uncomfortable how do we explore these things in a way that feels safe to you and also like which which path do we want to go down so like so if you're looking to just begin to explore kink with each other um then like i might send you to a dungeon 101 workshop where you can go oh. around and you can try oh. different things with wait a, a guided wait, person wait a minute wait sign me up wait, wait
0: wait go go slow there i just heard dungeon 101 and then you covered it up come on say go slow there's a dungeon dungeon 101 all right tell me
1: so in dungeon 101 and i haven't been to one in quite a while um the local dungeon in dc runs them um so you have to find your local dungeon Mm -hmm. and see if they run them if they don't run them then we might want to talk about like where you can get your education about how to do kink play safely. Yeah. Um because it's important to not just like watch some porn and try to do that because they don't discuss boundaries and consent and safety. Right. Um so you want to go to somebody who knows like if you want to do spanking for instance, you want to go to somebody who will teach you how to warm up slowly, you will talk about safe words, you will talk about um You know sort of stopping to check in with a person even if they have safe words because sometimes people are not able to talk when they get into a very right intense um ecstatic state either whether they're enjoying themselves or whether just they're dissociating and it feels traumatic you sometimes people just can't talk at those times so you need to figure out how to manage the consent process around it how to communicate about it Mm-hmm. Um, and also, like, what is good practice? Like, for instance, if you're going to do spanking or flogging, you want to make sure that you don't hit the kidneys because they can actually oh, be God. damaged. Oh, God. If I'm, you're hitting I'm hurting already. Uh, that word flogging. <laughs> you know, I could see all the, the <laughs> nails coming. I won't. Oh. <laughs> I don't, oh, I mean, usually most people in in the in the king community will use like a soft suede flogger. Oh. Flogging is often <laughs> more funny. about the rhythm than it is about pain. Mm-hmm. So, oh. I mean, if you're if you're talking about like pain, you're probably going to use like a cane or like Ooh. a like a bullwhip. Oh, um, like so many
0: Christmas off. gifts.
1: Can... <laughs> That's <what I> mean. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So, so let's um, with the kink came to Mm -hmm. my mind certain roles because i see it as a game Mm -hmm. i'm I'm seeing it all as a game and apparently not everyone Mm -hmm. does see it as a game Mm -hmm. um and Mm -hmm. but but we're talking from a therapeutical viewpoint so the game becomes more therapeutical than a real game i mean maybe people who think of it as games don't come to you but um we we um we're talking about sex fine and we talked about mm-hmm. the dungeon very little but you you have um experience with BDSM tell the mm-hmm. audience what exactly that is um people have read about it may see the letters not everyone knows
1: so BDSM stands for um, bondage do- domination and sadomasochism mm-hmm. and so it's both um it's both about people taking dominant and submissive role Mm -hmm. in in their sort of sexual or sometimes not even all that sexual play and then there's also um like sort of playing with intense sensation like Mm. you know sometimes pain sometimes other kinds of things that are just intense like ice cubes or things like that right right um and then there's also the sort of bondage aspect of like tying people up sometimes there's a the rope bondage has become very popular. There's really? a lot of people into doing these really like, complicated different kinds of ties. Um and that's often you'll find that like um called either Shibari or Kinbaku. Mm.
0: Um
1: and um and there's a lot of ways to tie people up that that even are very restrictive. Like you can tie like a chest harness or something like that where like person can totally move around but they still have the sense of being held. Um, by rope. So a lot mm-hmm. of people like that as
0: well. Wow. Um, have you found in your practice, because you, you mentioned that um, people go into roles of domination or of um, being a, the opposite of domination, being dominated. Have you Yeah, submission. Have you ever found that those roles are reversed in the same people? Um, do, do people so come and some- they like to do? They'd like to switch roles.
1: Definitely. There are some people who identify as switches. So there are people who will do different roles and some people will do different roles in the same relationships. And sometimes people who are switches will have one partner who's a dominant, and, you know, another partner who's a submissive uh-huh. and they'll sort of do different roles in different relationships. Is that fairly common?
0: The, to find I the switches? So, yeah. Mm hmm
1: and i find that oftentimes people who sort of come into the scene with one role so Mm -hmm. you know in their early 20s they're like really drawn to it and they want to do this thing that like over time once they've been in the scene for a long time they'll they'll end up trying the other thing Mm -hmm. um somebody said to me recently and this was melina williams she's a pretty famous um you know sex educator Mm -hmm. um she said you know (laughs) the time will come when there's just two submissives at a party who don't have anybody to play with. They want to do something. And, and then like something happens. So, um, so yeah, Yeah, I
0: can see that the show must go on really. The show must go on. Um, so, so let's, um, let's see how a typical day, uh, Tamara's typical day is. Because you have a network, mm-hmm. it seems from the description of, of the people you work with, it's sort of organized where many th- different things come. There are people who are being followed, people who are you know uh, uh, taking your courses or or being um, helped by you in some way. What
1: does your day look like, a typical day? Today, for example. Well, today is a Friday, so I don't see clients on Friday. So oh. it's mostly like my own stuff. <laughs> Um, but, and, and my days is, is pretty varied these days because I, so like, a, so my typical work includes working with clients and most of the clients that I work with now, I've worked with for a long time. Ah. So they're mostly people who are kinky or poly or queer, or just who wanted a really open-minded therapist who and oftentimes they just have depression or anxiety or issues in their relationships so it's often not the sort of you know come in the door like we have this problem how do we fix it in the short term kind of thing it's more Uh more long-term work that i'm doing with the clients that i see now Uh um then and then i also you know i have all these people i do clinical supervision with so yeah. they're seeing these people who are walking in the door with right you know cross-dressing or diaper fetish mm-hmm. or whatever and they're trying to figure out what to like how to sort of incorporate into that into their identity we're seeing uh-huh. a lot of um we we see teens now so we see some people who are trying to work through gender identity issues, you know, a lot of non-binary kids these days mm-hmm. um who need people to talk to who, who sort now, of understand their gender journey. Uh,
0: the public a non-binary bin- what would that mean?
1: So somebody who identifies as neither male nor female. Okay. Um or any variety of of in between, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Um so So, let's say so yeah so we see a go ahead we see a lot of different things i can imagine and then a lot of times yeah and then i spend a lot of time with um other therapists um so i do some supervision groups where we talk about cases and like what do people need and how do we help somebody in x y or z situation um when uh, typically what do these meetings look like i mean is a round table five,
0: six, or 1012? How many people are there usually?
1: So in order, to this is a funny rule that I just figured out when I started doing group (laughs) supervisions, for people who were not my employees, Mm -hmm. is that for sex therapy certification, for it to count towards the certification, you can have no more than four people in the group. Okay. (laughs) Now, why did you cut They're small
0: groups? Why did you come to that uh, decision?
1: Oh, I didn't come to it. I just think like people who are seeing me for supervision want to get sex therapy certification. Yeah, sure. And um and the organization came up with that rule. Ah, the organization. I would not came. have chosen that role. Okay, okay. I see. That would not be my choice. Why? <laughs> because I feel like there's a lot of value in having like five or six people in a group yeah, to talk about. Yeah, I
0: would think so. And too. to get a
1: lot of different perspectives. And when I do my group supervision with my employees, we have we have six clinicians in the room. And um, and a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different experiences and I think it's really helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, I wanted to a little get some information. I'm not sure if you would be willing to talk about it. Um, a case that you've had a person who uh, the the case. We'll talk about the case. I guess it is the case. Person. Same thing. Very critical for you. Uh, that.
1: You, so. Yeah. I can't talk about cases because mm-hmm. of HIPAA. Okay. Um, so I can tell you about my, my own life, which is okay. kinky and twisted in itself, but sure. I can't tell you about anybody else. All right. No, no. Then. <laughs> I, I, I mean, what, what becomes critical for you? <laughs> I mean, so I have had this whole, um, complicated journey of being, being involved in the BDSM community for 20, over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I'm also polyamorous And I have a number of different partners Mm -hmm. and I have, I've explored a a whole lot of different things and it's had its ups and downs. And I also, I have kids. So there's also the, like a lot of people end up having questions about like, how does that work? And mostly it's just the kids find this normal and we all sort of, laugh at the tv and they're all like you know what would solve this problem polyamory because like every show has a love triangle yeah so things like that (laughs) yeah every show has a love triangle
0: every life has a love triangle people who come to me um are all Mm -hmm. involved they come to me because there's a triangle there's a problem they see it as Mm -hmm. a problem Uh, usually the people who come to me experience the third party as a not fun but a problem and uh, that is a different mindset than what you're talking about. What exactly is polyamory?
1: The polyamory is just the openness to experience multiple deep loving relationships. Um, and a lot of times, it doesn't work out that way. Like, just because you are open to multiple deep loving relationships, oftentimes, you just sort of end up dating casually, just like everybody else. But, um, mm. but yeah, but you know, oftentimes there are sort of long, deep relationships. So I, I'm married. Um, my, my marriage is sort of drifting apart slowly. We've been together for 19 years. Okay, so this is um, recent? I live with my husband. Recent drifting? So we've lived together with his girlfriend and her kids for seven years, and they share a bedroom and I don't share a bedroom with him. And so it's like, mm-hmm. that sort of split has happened. He and okay. I both fell really hard for other people about 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And, you know, and, and, and the shift has been very slow, and very gentle. And I still feel like I still feel close to him, like he's my friend, and he's my co parent. But it's not like, like a romantic relationship. Okay.
0: In polyamory, do you uh, because there's, mm-hmm. I'm uh, two mi- at two minds about polyamory, because um with my mm-hmm. experience i have never had an experience where it was as you describe you know the definition of of having a very deep relationship with more than one person i have never mm-hmm. seen or know of anyone who has experienced mm-hmm. that and um mm-hmm. so so my question is you know many people think that polyamory is just okay go and have an orgy But and and it may have started in history that way, depending on what cultural groups you know you talk to. But today polyamory is a very distinct practice. It it means a specific thing, and I'm I'm wondering how common it is. How uh, I mean, can you travel any city in the world and find a group? That's polyamorous. Um, just like Argentine tango, I dance. I know where to go anywhere I travel. Mm-hmm. Is that the case with polyamory?
1: Well, so it's interesting. Like the the label polyamory um, wasn't invented until the 90s. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that polyamory hasn't existed right. throughout time. Like, You know there have been a number of cultures where marriages with multiple multiple people were common there's been a number of cultures where affairs where everybody knows the affair is happening are common Mm -hmm. and that is also a form of polyamory if like if if those things are happening and nobody's like throwing a fit and leaving like you have polyamory right so Um, so I think we think of it as this like distinct newfangled thing, but I think it's always existed. And I think when you listen to people's stories of their, of their lives, like it happens a lot. And I'm, you know, the longer people live, the more times people fall in love. Right. And I think that, oh, isn't that a great
0: to under, you know, you get old. (laughs) Oh yeah. But the longer I live, the more I have the chance to
1: fall in love. I like that. Right. And I think the thing that polyamory allows is for you to fall in love and not have to lose everybody that you loved before. Right. Cause you don't right. necessarily exactly. not love them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, like I've seen it happen. I've seen it work. I've seen people stay together for long periods of time. I do think relationships shift. Yeah. Um because i think that you know we have this term in polyamory called new relationship energy ah. which is basically that sort of high where you're just falling in love with a new person uh-huh. and that's not a thing that lasts in most relationships i have not seen that sort of new relationship high last more than a few years mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a few uh, years that's and a so, long time <laughs> i thought very much less i usually say based on a class i took on the neurobiology of love probably 10 years ago, that it lasts 18 months to two years. Oh, that sounds but,
0: normal to me, 18 months. Yeah, that's...
1: I think when people I think actually when people aren't able to see each other as much like, yeah. like if they are in long distance relationships, that sort longer. of limerence periods can last can <laughs> last longer because you don't you don't yeah. get the like being around somebody all the time to get annoyed with their yeah, <laughs> <habits>. sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I'm going to take you on another um, another road here, because as you were talking, I was thinking um how in because you know i we were talking before i started recording and i was telling you i live in rome and you said well do you like it and we didn't get much far than that but we do have Mm -hmm. the vatican in this city and i was thinking well how conditioned is a person's sexual mindset in relation well conditioned by their religion do you find that in your practice Mm
1: Well, I find that in my life and again this is a thing that you know I can't really talk about my, my clients but I can talk right. about my life right, sure. and um and this is a big issue particularly for me with Catholicism recently because yeah. so I as I said me and my husband both fell very hard in love with people 10 years ago mm-hmm. and my partner of you know would have been 10 years this month um or maybe next so anyway he During the pandemic, he started going to church in person without telling me. Oh, and then he converted to Catholicism. (gasps) And at midnight on a Sunday night, before I started my work week, he says to me, I've converted to Catholicism (laughs) and I can't be polyamorous anymore.
0: Oh my God. Well, that's a, (laughs) that's, that's a change, isn't
1: it? I mean. So I feel like I was cheated on with the Catholic Church. I have a lot of feelings
0: about this. Oh, I bet you do. We all do. I mean, he
1: could have slept with anyone, but instead, he was secretly meeting up with the church. I
0: love love it. I know this is
1: um, and I think it's been terrible for him as a person because he's because I feel like there's. There's this discouragement of following your own passion and following your own joy. And there's this, if you're doing that, you should feel ashamed of yourself.
0: Well, all right. You said one of the key magic words um, when you talk of joy uh, and elation. And that is, Mm -hmm. um, in in my experience, okay, with, with all of the clients that I've had. it's, it's very, very on the same level as sp- high spiritual vibration. That's the word that mm-hmm. is used, joy. And um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I don't know how to say this without, um, well, I'll just say it. Uh, many people have, well, the orgasm in and of itself is a mm-hmm. highly spiritual uh, experience. And when you talk about spirituality, the next thing, I don't want to say the next best thing, but the very close cousin would be an established institutional religion. And that's where the problems lie. You know, that is really where the problems lie. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. Um, uh, Well, gee, let's, well, what about him? Well, did he come out alive in his transformation is he now able to uh, experience a one-to-one relationship going back
1: to he the hasn't world even world? been looking for that ah he doesn't, he doesn't know what he's doing ah. he's he's got a lot of complicated feelings and he doesn't know what he wants and he's mm-hmm. in therapy and that's good oh but good. um <laughs> but i mean i i feel like there there's this another important point of like sex as a spiritual experience yeah um and it's a thing we don't talk about mm-hmm. um and i think it's a really thing it's a thing we need to talk about of the, course the other thing which is not on my bio on my website that i sent you and also wasn't even true when we scheduled this appointment is that i um i am a also i recently completed the urban tantra professional training program i was going with to ask you.
0: i was going to ask you about that i had a um a tantrist here uh a couple of months ago Mm -hmm. is that a a normal Mm -hmm. development for people in your profession or is this a specific choice
1: it's a specific choice most of the people in my profession don't do a lot of work with tantra um and they do they do something called sensate focus yes where the idea is to involve mindfulness and focus on touch. Mm -hmm. But it's very sort of narrow, it focuses on like, we want to touch these parts, and then these parts, and then these parts, we want to slowly accustom you to, um, to these particular kinds of touch where you can get back to the place where um, intercourse is good, right. And it it still seems to view intercourse as the pinnacle of sex. And for me, pleasure is always the goal yeah pleasure over orgasm like pleasure is more important right and because sometimes people have orgasms they don't even enjoy right Um, yeah yeah nobody tells you that oh this is
0: the first time (laughs) i've heard of that um
1: yeah no that is a thing and it and it and it's It's also very complicated for people who've been sexually assaulted, who they sometimes will have an orgasm, but it's not, it doesn't mean it was a pleasant experience. It means they had an involuntary Mm -hmm. muscle spasm, right? So what we want to talk about is like, how do we center things that feel good? And I think that also part of that is about shifting our focus from, you know, it has to be focused on the genitals and it has to involve penetration. like your whole body can be a sexual organ you can have orgasms of all different kinds you can have pleasure of all different kinds and and we don't teach people about the breadth right of what is available as far as sexuality and i think it's interesting because it's like there's these two different ways of of getting you to this different place well there's multiple different ways but i feel like there's there's the tantra world which is about sort of breathing into your different chakras and focusing on different areas of your body. And then there's the kink worlds. Yeah, And then then there's the kink kink worlds where you're where you're also also focusing your sexual attention on different kinds of touch and different things. But we think of them as so far apart, right? Well,
0: in, in many people's minds, they are so far apart. One seems to lean more towards the spiritual and one towards the more material, if you could use that word yeah
1: but i think that both of them at least for the submissive can be fundamentally about surrender Ah, right because tantra can be about surrender to the universe, right. and really right. like embracing all these different sensations, right? right? And then BDSM as a submissive is about surrendering to a person. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes, when you're in that place, when you're in that kink headspace, that person is like a deity to you. Ah, uh, right, right, and right, you yeah. are worshiping. Oh, yeah, that yeah. Form, right. That's right. Good for you. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so there's there is this way that like. BDSM can almost be your own personal religion. And you have to sort of look at it from like, how do we make sure we can stay grounded enough to like to see when the problematic yeah. stuff is happening. Yeah. Because it's sometimes interesting. people are it's, so hungry for that. It's that interesting to, that, to like, hear work you. Out well.
0: uh, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot see her, but I'm seeing her face expressions, her eyes that go up when talking about stuff. So it's really interesting to see while you speak, um, that you get into the pleasure of, pu- you know, creating one room, one kinky room where there is pleasure, joy, and it is, it can be your religion. And um, I, I don't like to separate uh, sex from a spiritual uh, sensation. And what pleasure is, is based on the senses, the smell all the senses, any sense you have, even your intuition. And that doesn't go out the room when you're having uh, some kind of sexual pleasure or encounter with someone. How wonderful this is to talk about. <laughs> I would love to go on and on, but I hate to, you know, abuse of your time. Tamara, thank you so much for being with us. And um, tell us where people can find you, your website, perhaps.
1: So my website is TamaraPincus.com. And um, historically, we've done primarily just individual and relationship psychotherapy, but we're working on putting together more educational programs. So I'm hoping to help people sort of get in touch with, like, how do we access these pleasurable states? And how do we really figure out how to feel this joy in our bodies after we've been told culturally that we're not supposed to? in a lot of ways. So um, so I'm hoping you'll come and check out our blog and try um, sign up for our mailing list. And also we have a ton of resources on our resource page. Um, so come check it out.
0: Great, thank you so much. I hope we will have the opportunity to again talk. Bye bye, Tamra.